right, well, uh, we're going to launch. Uh, I've been doing a series called It Is Finished. And as you can see here on the cross, we've written up the words, It Is Finished. This is what Jesus said. I shared at the beginning of this series, he did not, this was not his cue to let everybody know, okay, I'm about to expire. The Bible clearly says that Jesus, seeing that all things had been fulfilled, he gave out a loud cry and said, it is finished. He finished what his father started in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve fell, and they gave their leadership role over to Satan, who is now the God of this earth. That's what the Bible says. Before God put them out of the garden and closed the doors to the garden, he prophesied. And he said, I'm telling you right now, the woman will bear a seed and her seed will come. You, Satan, will bruise his heel, the cross, but he will crush your head. And when Jesus said, it is finished, what he was saying in code so I'm bringing my God-sized foot down on the devil's head. It's over. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to pick up from there. I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 39. Now I'm going to tell you very sincerely, A, I believe this series that I'm embarking on is extremely important. I really do. Uh, it's revolutionary. And I believe this message is extremely important, as will be the messages that follow. I will be sharing with you revelational truths that will be keys to unlock areas of your life so that you could go living from one standard of victory to another standard of victory to a whole nother level again of victory. Anyone like going backwards? Anyone like going forwards? Like promotions? Amen. Look, the whole point is, and I'm doing this on purpose, I'm standing on this cross. Why am I standing on this cross? I want to build an image in your mind. I am standing on the fact that it is finished. Everything I need, everything I want, Every curse that has ever come on humanity at the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. We start our Christianity from the finish line. Are you hearing me, church? Come on, I'm guaranteed the victory. I start from the finish line. When the enemy tries to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me and head-to-head -head with me and nose-to-nose -nose with me, the beauty is I've already got the victory because it is finished. We need to remember this and we need to be refocused on this truth because the enemy needs to be reminded by our own mouths. Amen. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And I stand and you stand on the fact that it is written, every promise is mine, it is finished. Every curse is not mine. It is 
finished. Can I get an agreement? Come on, show me some happiness. If you're in agreement, come on, charge it up. Let the heavens hear it. Yeah, yes. We need to be reminded and the enemy needs to be reminded. He knows, but he hopes you don't. He knows, he hopes you forget. And that's why you need to box the devil into the corner of the cross and remind him with your rebukes, it is finished. We already have the victory through Jesus Christ. Praise God. All right. I was going to try walking up the cross. I thought I'd have everyone on the edge of their seat, see. And uh, I thought, well, if I did that, they'd get real nervous, and they'd be on the edge of their seat, and they won't forget, and they'll see that I'm very serious about the fact we stand on the finished work of Jesus. It is finished. Amen. I deserve a clap just for being able to do that. <laughs> Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Do you have a place where you like going for breakfast? Do you have a place where you like going for a cup of coffee or for a special meal? I know that at, on Christmas Eve, we always go down to a Thai restaurant, a specific Thai restaurant, because it's my wife's birthday, and it's her favorite meal. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, as was usual. Every time he went to the Mount of Olives, he went to pray. Just a little note here, just a little hint. Say something that maybe might be worth us taking note of. If God came in the flesh and as a human being, he saw the need to have a regular place where he would pray. How many of you think that you and I, who are a little bit less than God in the flesh, need to have a regular place and time to pray? Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Did you hear that? We're meant to follow him in the habit of going to a usual place to pray. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Now this is just... A day before he's going to hang on the cross. I find it really interesting that he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest with you. I mean, I think about this here in personal terms. And if I was about to be crucified the next day and I had a group of disciples, I'd have a whole long list of things that they need to pray. I wouldn't just be telling them, hey, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. I'd be saying, now, guys, pray that it doesn't hurt me too much. Pray that I don't bleed too much. Pray that I don't feel the pain. Pray that Herod gets convicted. Pray that uh, uh, Caesar hears about it and he gets converted. Pray. I'd have a whole laundry list of things that I'd be asking you to pray for. 
But I find it very specific, unique, and revelational that Jesus said to them, pray that you don't enter into temptation. He's about to go to the cross and he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And I'm going to expound on this just quickly in a moment. But keep this in the back of your head. He tells them, pray that you don't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was drops of blood falling to the ground. In this series, I'm going to be talking about the different places that Jesus shed his blood on the journey to the cross. And every place that Jesus shed blood from his body represents something very dynamic. It represents a particular curse and how he shed the blood to break that curse. How many of you are excited and anxious to hear the rest of the series? Amen. Don't miss. And if you're watching, come on in. It just gets better and better and better. But the very first place Jesus starts to shed his blood is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's very important that we understand that this is a parallel to the first Adam who was in the Garden of Eden and now Jesus Christ, the last Adam, who is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting and I want you always to remember that Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Do you know why he's the last Adam? It's not because he finished the race last. Do you know why he's the last Adam? He's the last Adam because there'll never be need for another one. Amen. Absolutely. But here's the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, and God had just vested the authority on him from heaven to rule all the earth. The Bible says in several places, starting with Psalm 8, what is man that you crowned him with glory and honor? What is man that even though he's created lower than angels, you put him in charge? He has authority over the birds, the mammals, the fish. He has authority over the whole earth. He had authority over the demonic realm. What is man? Here's the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, and God invested in him and vested him with glory and honor. Glory is character, God-likeness. Honor is position. Honor is power. And Lucifer comes to Adam and Eve and gives them an alternate choice. How many of you know that temptation always comes with an alternate choice? We know what is right because we've eaten from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good. And we know what is wrong and the enemy will always come with an alternate choice and it's the choice of evil. Somebody say, I've been there. I know I've been there. Okay. And so the first Adam submitted to Satan's suggestion because he liked the idea. Now I want to make something very clear. In fact, I'm going to make it clear by asking you all a question. 
When God created the first Adam in his image, in God's image, did God create the first Adam with a sinful nature? No. If he was created in God's image, he was created with a righteous nature. Is that true? Absolutely. But having a righteous nature did not mean it was impossible for him to sin. You see, God considers free will a very, very precious gift. I don't want people to love me because I slip them a magic potion in their drink and it just makes them like Pastor Roth. I want people to love me because I've been a good soul. I've been a good person. Because they see something genuine in me. In every important relationship we have in life, we don't want someone who's been hypnotized and they're just in love with us. We want someone who sees the warts and all and still loves the culmination of what's on the inside. Come on now. Are you with me? Absolutely. And God's no different. The reason why you are like that and you just said amen is because that's what's in your father's heart. He wants genuine love. He wants real love. He doesn't want dictated love. He doesn't want a forced relationship. He doesn't want you to be gagas over him because there's no other choice. Now, if I was the last human being on earth and there was only one other female on earth, I'd find a way to love her. But we don't marry who we marry because they're the only option on earth. Look around. It's a pretty big place. We choose who we choose because we have fallen in love. Adam had a choice. He had all authority, all power. God invested in him. But God also invested in him with free will. And the Bible teaches us the principle that when we submit to another authority, we become subject to that authority. And so Satan comes with an alternate suggestion, like he always does in temptation. Now, we're going to break here just for a moment because I love people's response. So I want you to be really real, and we're going to kill the spirit of pride right now. Everyone who knows what I'm talking about, and that is everybody, I want you to put your hand up and say, I, I understand the devil brings alternate choices and he's done it for me. Put your hand up. Come on, put your hand up. Everybody's hand should be up right now. Now turn around and look. Most of us are like the rest of us. Okay? We all go through the same stuff. And Adam submitted to Satan's alternate choice and in doing so he lost his authority he lost his power he lost the position you see he's called the first Adam because out of him and Eve they were going to give birth to many Adams and Eves the earth is populated I don't care if you're white I don't care if you're tan I don't care if you're brown I don't care if you're dark I don't care if you're black I don't care if you're green or you're yellow we all have the same mama and papa I want a better amen than that. Yeah. 
And he's called the first Adam because who he was, he was meant to reproduce. And unfortunately, who he became, he reproduced. Hello? All right. So the first Adam in the Garden of Eden chose to sin. And he became a slave to sin. The first Adam. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't think the first day the Lucifer, that Lucifer ever showed up in the garden as a serpent and threw out an alternate choice that Adam just immediately said, yes, he probably was working on him and working on him and chipping away at his mental mindset, wearing him down, giving him one reason after another why this wouldn't be such a bad thing after all. And you might say, well, pastor, you make a big thing about not preaching anything that isn't in the word. You're right. I'm not making this a doctrine, but I'm talking from personal experience. When the devil comes to seduce me, he comes and he, works on my head, works on my circumstances, works on my emotions until finally he can get me into agreement. Anyone out there have a similar experience at least once? All right, so here we are in the first garden. The first Adam struggles with his will. He has free will, and ultimately, whether it was a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it was, he finally gives in to Satan's suggestion. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, pray that you don't fall into temptation. When Jesus started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to go on prayer and fasting. And then Satan came to him. Isn't it interesting, while he's praying and fasting, physically weak, the devil comes to him. Here he is the night before his crucifixion, emotionally drained, physically exhausted, and the devil comes to him. You see, the devil came to him when he started his ministry, brought him through all the different temptations. Jesus succeeded 100%, rebuked the devil. Do you know why the devil came to him? Because if he could get Jesus to sin like the first Adam, there would be no ministry. Hello? Absolutely. And at the end of that passage, Luke writes, when Jesus would not submit to the devil, the devil left him for a more opportune time. Now Jesus is about to be the perfect lamb of God who's going to die on the cross and break all the curses that Satan brought onto humanity. If anyone will come to him and believe on him, for them the curses are broken. And here he is in the garden of Gethsemane. The devil knew where to find him. Because it was his usual habit to go to the Mount of Olives and pray. And Jesus knew, I'm about to face a very difficult time on the cross. That serpent, that snake, that liar is going to try to bring an alternate choice to me. And he knew that when Satan showed up with his vice and his anointing to seduce, that anointing will fill the area and his disciples would also be tempted to sin. And so Jesus said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Very purposely. 
The first Adam in the Garden of Eden chose to sin, became a slave. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, letter A, and I put letter A because we're going to look at the first sentence. It says, through the one, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. The many were made sinners. Have you ever made a cake? Have you ever made pasta? Have you ever made mac and cheese or cheese and mac? Right? Have you ever made a mess? Have you ever made anything? It says the first Adam made us sinners. You see, if he didn't sin, we would have been little Adams like him. But the enemy saw it was so important to make him a sinner so that the reproduction machine, when Adam and Eve came together, reproduced after their image. Are you hearing me? And so the Bible says, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. You say, well, pastor, maybe, you know, you're just building on this one word. That's a little flimsy. No, it's not. The word made, and you can put it up on the screen in the Greek, is the word kathistame. Kathistame. And kathistame is very purposeful. It means to place something down permanently as if it's a mold. To change the constitution of something. To, you know, have, have, have you ever made iced tea? You start with some water, hopefully some good clean water, right? And as soon as you put that first scoop, even just the first scoop of that iced tea powder, what happened to the water? It changed. You changed the constitution of it. Has anyone ever been successful after you've put the first scoop of iced tea into that beautiful gallon of ice-cold filtered water? Has anyone ever been successful in taking out all the iced tea and having pure water again? Are you getting the picture? It says that Adam made, he made, he placed down purposely or permanently, and he changed the constitution of what would be the human race. He ordained this change. He set it down in an authoritative way. The first Adam, the mold and the model of what humanity was meant to be, he was created in the image of God, so he would reproduce in the image of God. But when he chose a different Lord, when he chose a different master, when he surrendered to the one who was supposed to stay under his feet, Adam's nature changed, and as a by a, a result, all of humanity was born into sin and has a sin nature. Because we are born into the first Adam, we are born into a sin nature. We just had a, a number of moms and dads who gave birth and had little babies. And some of them were babies that were born as a result of a miracle. But as much as it was a miracle, you know what the Bible teaches us? That every human being born, while you are in that NICU ward or the delivery room or the hospital, 
and you're looking at that beautiful little baby in invisible ink written across the chest and the inner being of each one of those cuddly, beautiful, crying babies <laughs> is written the law of sin and death. You will sin and you will die. All because of the first Adam. And no one can escape it. Because we all came, irrespective of color, irrespective of nationality, we all came from his seed. And so we are all bound with a ball and chain that causes us to limp. And as much as we try to live victoriously, as much as we try not to behave in certain manners, as much as there are certain characteristics that we hate, yet we indulge in them. Why? Because humanity has become a prisoner to sin. The law of sin and death says you will sin and you will die. And so for God to bring redemption, he had to bring another Adam who was still in the image of God. And it was very important to Lucifer if he couldn't stop Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, I've got to stop him before he goes to the cross and breaks open a veil so that people could come into a whole new way of living. The cross is meant to be humanity's escape from the bondage and the curse and the control and the manipulation of demonic forces. Amen. Are you hearing me, church? Absolutely. Because we're born in the first Adam, we're born into a sinful nature. If I could get to the next part of my notes, in the meantime, I'll try really hard to lift this ball up. <laughs> I'm burdened with this sinful nature from the first Adam. Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to set me free? Now, the last Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane chose not to sin. At the very place where everything went wrong, the last Adam starts to sweat through his skin, blood. And he starts to release the redemptive power where man sold his soul and lost the freedom to not sin. Yeah. You can choose not to sin here and choose not to sin there before you met Jesus. But ultimately, we were all bound to a sinful nature. And in one way, in one vice or another, in one manner, one style, one habit or another, we all were sinners. Can I get an amen? But the last Adam is being tempted with an alternate choice. Ask God to take the cup away from you. Come on, you don't have to do this. You could back out. You could have a life just like Peter. Maybe you could get married. Why do you have to suffer? Do you know what crucifixion is like? Jesus, are you out of your mind? Come on. I offered you a great deal when you first started this ministry. I offered you the kingdoms of the world because they were given to me. You don't have to be king by having to go through the agony of the cross. I'll make you a king 
You don't think Lucifer spoke to his emotions and spoke to his mind? This was payday. This was countdown. This is moments before the gauntlet is going to be thrown to the ground and the kingdom of darkness is going to be dealt a fatal blow. Satan was filling that garden. That's why Jesus told his disciples, pray, it's coming. Pray that you don't fall into temptation because all the anointing to seduce is about to show up. Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. <laughs> Jesus wrestled with the alternate choice. And in the end, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But even so, not my will, but yours. Do you know every time we're tempted, every time the enemy comes to seduce us, the bottom line is, will we give in to our will or we surrender to God's will? That's the bottom line in every temptation. Am I going to do what God said to do? Or am I going to do what I'm being tempted to do? And in that garden, and this was crucial. That's why this is the first place that he's shedding the blood. Because the very thing he has to do is be the last Adam who did not sin. Why? Because when we are born again into the last Adam, we're going to bear his likeness. And if he sins, we're just going to be born again into sin. He understood what was before him. He wasn't just gonna pay the price for your sin. Sure, if he sinned, he couldn't be the blameless, faultless, innocent lamb of God, and he could not atone for our sins. But if he sinned, he would also now, just like the first Adam, reproduce sinners like himself. And so Jesus wrestled, to the point of shedding blood, he was undoing the very first curse. You see, we've been bound for years before Christ, before we asked him in our hearts, bound with a sinful nature. Jesus said, Dad, this is tough. I've seen Roman crucifixions. I am very much human. I know what's going to happen to me. If there's another way to save them, save them. But even so, God, I know there isn't. Therefore, God, I'm going to stay true to the task, and I'm going to stay true to the course. God, even if it kills me, not my will, your will be done. Earth needs a hero. Earth needs a savior. He rebuked Satan and all of his anointing to seduce. And he obeyed to the point of going to the cross. Why is that significant? Romans chapter 5 verse 19a, I read to you through the disobedience of the one man, the many were changed forever to have a sin nature. Romans chapter 5 verse 19, the last half of that verse says, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. 
And that word made is the same word used in the beginning of the verse, kathisteme. Our constitution, if he doesn't sin and he goes to the cross and he dies sinless, he becomes the last Adam. He wins back the position the first Adam forfeited. And now anyone who is born again into him will bear his likeness and we shed the sinful nature and we take on a righteous nature. Wow. This was crucial. This was critical. This was pivotal. I mean, your salvation really hinged on this, not only because we needed a sinless sacrifice, but your true salvation. It's one thing for your sins to be erased. It's one thing for your sins to be forgiven. But it's another thing to be changed constitutionally from someone who is destined to always fall and always sin and always screw up to being destined to somebody who's been given given a righteous nature. Praise God. You see, God's plan of salvation is a lot more than just a little bit of blood will do you. It's a lot more than washing away this sin, that sin, this one. Okay, new day. Uh, let's start again. No. His plan. It's to unplug the sin machine and dismantle it and give us a righteous nature. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. The last Adam in the garden of Gethsemane chose not to sin. And so through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. Because we are born into the last Adam, we are born into a righteous nature. Now, I want you to participate, so turn to somebody, look them fair in the eye. Come on, and say, I'm not a sinner, saved by grace. I was a sinner. I am saved by grace, but I'm not a sinner by nature anymore. I am the righteousness of God. Through Jesus Christ. You became, you, you came, why are you the righteousness of God? In the Garden of Eden, God created man in his image. Jesus comes to become the last Adam so that we could be born again into the last Adam so that we're recreated in the image of God. We are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? The word of God always makes sense. Amen. That's why you must be born again. Because when you're born again, now you're born of his righteous nature. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. Now we know that our old self was crucified with him. How many of you have been crucified with Jesus Christ? Put your hand up. Come on, if you know this, put your hand up. You've been crucified with Christ. Okay, question and answer time. Why was Jesus crucified? For our sins? To pay the price for our sins? Does everyone agree? Do we have unanimous count here? Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty, the price to go through 
everything we should have gone through. Is that correct? But the Bible says we were crucified with him. So why were you crucified? Did you have to pay for your sins as well? If we had to pay for our sins, then it was in vain that Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. But the Bible says I was crucified with him. Why are we crucified with him? Romans 6, verse 6 to 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Everyone say done away with. Gotten rid of. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So Jesus was crucified to pay the price for our sin. But you were crucified with him not to pay the price for your sin, but to kill that old sinful nature. You know what the title of my message is this morning? Dead men don't sin. Our old sinful nature has been crucified on the cross. And I'm very sad to say what I'm about to say, and that is this. For the most part, the church preaches a gospel of forgiveness. And it preaches how we can get to heaven by being forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But the gospel of salvation or the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God is a lot more than just covering sin with a blanket of blood. If you're really saved, you're saved from the thing that makes you do the ugly things. Are you hearing me? See, I'm not just forgiven. You say, but you don't sin? Are you telling me I'll never sin again? No, what I'm telling you is we have been reinstated back into the position of the very first Adam. He was created in the image of God without a sin nature, but he had a free will. Here's the difference. Through Jesus Christ, you gain more than what Adam lost. You see, Adam was the title holder, and because he became a sinner, anyone born through him is a sinner. But here's the beauty. Jesus now is the title holder. He holds the position. Can I get an agreement? I have been born into him and I have a righteous nature, but like the first Adam, I have a choice. The difference is when I fall in sin, I'm not the title holder. Jesus is. And so when I fall in sin, I don't suddenly get a sin nature again. I was born into Christ. It's his nature I have. And so because he never sinned, he retains the title and he retains the position and I retain that righteous nature that I got from God through Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's worth getting happy about. <laughs> I don't have 
have this sin machine inside of me that says you will sin and you will die. The law of sin and death. You will sin and you will die. You will sin and you will die. No! At the cross when he said it's finished, he ripped that thing out of my chest and he put the nature of righteousness in each and every one of us. Yes! 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 Praise God. Maybe I get more excited about it because I was more prone to sin than you all. I don't know. I sure know what it is to sin. And before I understood this revelation, I sure knew what it was to be a Christian in ignorance who still thought he was a sinner by nature, but I'm under grace. Thank you for grace. I'm a sinner, but thank you. Every time I slip up, you forgive me, you forgive me, you forgive me. That's called pardon. That's not called salvation. Salvation is being saved from the tyranny of bondage. Yeah! Yeah! We have been crucified with Christ. And so I'm going to ask Roger to come and Paul, if you would come, and I want you to help me because I love painting pictures that people will never forget. So I want you literally to nail me to the cross so that everyone will have this picture. Come on, let's lift this up. We're going to lay it down here on the platform. How many of you can't wait to see Pastor nailed to the cross? Then you'll be able to go home and say, they nailed him today. All right, bring this end up here more. All right, we're going to grab this hammer. Here we go. And uh, Roger, we'll let you do the hammering. And uh, just uncover that fellow over there. And you're going to nail me to the cross. Okay? You ready? You ready? Come on this side. Come on this side. <laughs> nail him down. Nail that blighter. Once you nail him, he won't be able to sin anymore. There it is. Nail him. Ah! Ah! It hurts! Keep nailing. Keep nailing. I want that sin nature dead. Ah! Go easy, man. Another blow. Oh, ah! Ah! Now nail my feet. I want to make sure he's dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Come on, man, you're making me suffer in agony. Do it quick. <laughs> what a brutal agony this is. All right, let's set the cross up again. Thank you, sir. Okay, do it without me. 
he died to take my punishment. You were crucified with him so that the sin nature is dead. There's no other reason for you to be crucified. If you were crucified so that he could get his anger done on you and make you pay, then Jesus died in vain. No, you, you go away free. But he took that sinful nature that was born in the likeness of the first Adam and Jesus nailed it to the cross and he crucified it. You see, this concept isn't taught enough in the church. We, we labor under a gospel of forgiveness and I thank God that there's forgiveness because even though I have a righteous nature like the first Adam, when I make a stupid decision and I choose to sin, thank you Jesus, you're the title holder. I don't lose my position. I don't lose my righteous nature. But if I am quick to repent of my sin, he is just to forgive me of all of my sins. Hallelujah. So the sin nature that had the law written in it, you will sin and you will die, you will sin and you will die. You'll never give up alcohol. You'll always be an alcoholic. You won't give up drugs. Oh, you might have Jesus in your heart, but you're never really gonna be free. You're a liar, devil. I am free, I am free, I am free. The man who used to be in slavery to sin is nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Somebody give me an amen. Yes! Freedom! Whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. I want to assure you there isn't one word in the word of God that is exaggerated even a little bit. Let's keep going. I'm running out of time fast. Is this good? Yeah. I want to build pictures in your head because sometimes we forget words, but images we remember. Amen. Romans 6, 11 to 12, Paul says in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. That word count is the word logizome, or logizomehi, and it means take inventory, settle the, the, uh, settle the issue, conclude in your mind, come to the bottom line. The bottom line is count yourself dead dead to sin. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ. For years, the church told me, and I'll guarantee, for years, the church told you, well, we got to battle that sin nature. No, Jesus did it. That's why he said, it's finished. I start from the finish line. I have to get my head into the perspective, I don't have a sin nature. Like the first Adam, before he fell, he had a righteous nature, but he had freedom to choose. When he made one mistake, that settled it for all of the human race. But when I make a mistake, what Jesus did settles it for me forever. Yeah. 
I hear Christians say all the time, oh, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and we think we're so pious. No, we're stupid. Yeah. We have believed the lie from the pit of hell because if you condition your mind that you're a sinner saved by grace, you will keep producing sin and you'll have to keep crying out for God to forgive you. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a son of God. I'm a prince. I'm a ruler. There's a new nature in me. You want to tell me that he shouted it's finished and all it meant was he's got an eraser soaked in blood to forgive me of the things that are written on a list of sins? Or do you think he came like the hero that he is and he broke the chains of sin and death? I believe my Jesus did the latter. He broke the chains of sin and death. Are you with me, church? Absolutely. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to the end here. So it says here, in Romans 15, 5, verse 17. I'm skipping a verse, guys. Romans 5, 17. I'm speeding it up. For if by the trespass, the mistake, the sin, the wrong decision of one man, death reigned through that one man. Death reigned. Everybody say, death reigned. One man's sin caused death to reign all through humanity. See the war between Russia and Ukraine? Death is reigning. Not because people are dying. Destruction, a fallen nature is reigning. Can I get an agreement? Everywhere we see sin, everywhere we see hurt, everywhere we see pain, we see the death the evilness, the ugliness, the broken picture that God had created. The broken picture wasn't broken when he created it. We see that picture broken because death reigns. So through the disobedience of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign if death reign, now righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus? Yes. Now, I'm going to show you something real quickly. You see, Martin Luther, during the Reformation, got a revelation about the grace of God. He had grown up in the Catholic Church and everything was mia copa, mia copa, mia masa, mia copa. It's my fault. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I have a sinful nature. And one day he gets a revelation from the Holy Spirit that we are saved by faith and we are justified. It is the grace of God. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. And so the church has been preaching this and we've gotten the revelation, we've gotten the reformation in our head. We're under grace. But this is where the message has stopped. I'm a sinner saved by grace and every time I fall in sin, well, I couldn't help it. Thank you, God. I'm under grace. Look at this verse. It's up there. Look at this verse. If, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, through every generation, every culture, every nationality, every color, if by the trespass of the one man, death 
had mastery over human history through one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness? How many sermons have you heard preached on the gift of righteousness? We hear a lot of sermons about the grace of God. We're under grace. What's the gift of righteousness? Because it says that I will reign in life through God's grace and the gift of righteousness. To reign means to stay in victory, to stay on your toes, to always be heads up, to be on top and not underneath. But the way the church has preached uh, grace and salvation We sin, we're bound to sin, you're gonna screw up, you are a screw up, but God is so gracious, he's just gonna forgive you. And so we reproduce after what we have been taught and we say, okay, I'm a sinner, I'm a screw up, but thank you, Jesus, by grace I'm saved. I was a screw up, I was a sinner, and by the grace of God I am saved, But according to this verse, I also receive the gift of righteousness. And because of grace and the gift of righteousness, the same way death reigned through humanity, now I will reign in life because there's a righteous nature in me. And when I make a dumb choice, the grace of God comes. Go to the next verse. Real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, the last half of verse 7, with weapons of righteousness. We just read the gift of righteousness. How many sermons have you heard on the weapons of righteousness? He says, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left hand. You know what your weapons of righteousness are? Number one, put it on the screen. Number one, he's given you a righteous nature. You are not bound to sin. You are not a failure. You are not stupid. You are not a loser. You are not a has-been. You are not the devil's puppet. He doesn't write plays and then you act them out. No, his cords over you have been severed by the blood of Jesus. It is finished and you are under the auspices of King Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The weapons of righteousness in my right hand, I start with the fact that that sin nature has been cut out of me and I have a righteous nature living in me. I'm not just forgiven, I have been revamped. That's all right, it won't slip out of my hand. She's looking at me. (laughs) That's all right, I think. And the second weapon of righteousness is that even when I make a bad choice, I'm not the title holder. Jesus is. And therefore, I never lose my position of righteousness with God the Father. Wow. 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 You see, if the devil comes at you, don't you want to have 
a weapon in each hand, swinging at the enemy. Hey, the weapons of righteousness in the right hand, in the left hand. You've been given a righteous nature. The sin nature is crucified. And you now have a position. You gained more than the first Adam lost. Anything God did, he did better than Adam's mess up. So occasionally the devil will come and try to talk in your ear. And he will try to tell you that you're a sinner and you're bound to sin. You're a loser. You're a mistake. Your mama didn't really want you anyway. And your dad was just too excited and revved up. But you weren't planned. You're not meant to be here. You're a failure. You're a regret. You're a mistake. And when that devil comes, see, he's afraid to come. When that devil comes, he's probably got his boxing gloves on and can't open the doorknob like last week, like two weeks ago. And when that devil comes to harass you, if you know who you are, he'll be slow in coming because he knows the beating that's waiting for him. Rob, you've been such a failure lately. Don't you just feel the pain and the agony of all that you've let everybody down, including yourself? You need a little help, Rob. Hang on I a second. I can help you. Let you me think about it. Fix, Let me think Rob. about what you said. Don't I feel the pain, the guilt, the shame of everyone I've let down? No. Nope. You've let everybody down, Rob, and you need a little help. No. You need a little fix from your pain, yeah. Rob. Really? Why don't you just call up the old dealer you have? I know yeah. you still have his and you're phone gonna number help inside me? your phone, don't you? Listen. Just give yeah. him a call. Shut up. You just need Shut a little up. bit of help. You talk too much. You know who my help is? My help comes from the Lord. No, he Rob. is my deliverer. He is no. my savior. He is the one who no, set me no, free no, 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 from no. the curse. No. The curse no, is broken. It is finished. Of you. It's still deep inside of you. It's okay, Rob. You were born with it. It's okay. You don't need to feel bad about being a sinner. It's built into you. Hey. It's who you are. Hang on a second. Let me remind you. Do you remember that cross? When you thought Jesus was finished? No. No, that cross symbolizes you're finished. Your lies are done. Your curse is broken. In Jesus' name. No. Listen, you need my help. I can help you. I can help you with your pain. I can help you with your suffering. You know the bottle that you have hidden in the back of your cupboard? Just a little sick. It will help you. It will alleviate the pain inside of you, your suffering. I have answers for you, Rob. I'm here to help you. You want me to go to the bottle? Just one sip. You want me to get you will drink? You feel so much wine. better. I want I'm to tell to help you. Listen to me. I have drunk the wine. I've drunk the wine that symbolizes his blood. You lost. You're a loser. Come here. You're afraid of the cross. You keep walking away no. from the cross. Come here. No. In Jesus' name. No. You see that? That old sinful nature, he's dead. 
He's on the cross. You know why he's on the cross? Because Jesus put him there. You're finished in the name of Jesus. I am not a sinner. I am a son of God. I am washed in the blood. I am delivered. You're a liar. You're going to hell. In Jesus' name, get out of here. Get out of here. In Jesus' name. That's exactly how you have to talk to the devil. Because that's exactly how he'll try to talk to you. You need to take him back to where the score and the account was settled. It's finished. Don't ever let the devil convince you, oh, I sinned, and I sinned again, and I hate it. I made a great discovery. The sins I do, honestly, I do them because I like them. And when I man up and I confess that I did it because I chose to, that's the beginning of true repentance. And true repentance is the beginning of deliverance. When I make excuses and say I can't help it, oh, my father was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. It runs in my family. It's a disease. Go tell the CDC, maybe they'll find a vaccine for it. But I got a vaccine. It's called the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Les, you're not a has-been. You're not a failure. You're not a mistake. You're not prone to sin. The Bible says the same way we were slaves to sin, now we are slaves to righteousness. I only say yes to the things I want to say yes to. And sometimes I make stupid decisions, not because I have a sin nature, but because I need to learn to hate the things that are contrary to God's word. Anyone here hate liver? Liver, eating liver. How many people hate liver? I want to make sure you understood me. How many people love liver? You're weird. All right, let's go back to the people who hate liver. I hate liver. I remember my grandma would not let me leave the table until I finished eating the liver. And as a little seven-year-old boy, all I could think was, it smells like urine, it tastes like urine, I hate it. And I cried and cried and cried and she wouldn't let me go until I ate every last piece. And I think I hate it even more now because of that. So let me cue you in. I go to the butcher. Would you believe me if I said to you, this whole slab of liver behind the glass jumped out of the glass 
And the tray jumped on me and said, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. Take me home and eat me, eat me, eat me. And I was forced to take what I didn't want. And I was forced to take what I hate. And it shoved itself in my mouth against my will. Would you believe me? You see, the devil has followed up on the theology of you're a sinner saved by grace by saying you can't help it. You can't help it. And so we're always living from one moment of forgiveness to another moment of forgiveness. And that's not called reigning in life. Good preaching. You see, we've gotten the revelation of grace. We haven't gotten the revelation of the gift of righteousness. I have a righteous nature. And even when I do something that I shouldn't, but I still like it, when I repent, Jesus is the title holder. I did not get a sin nature back. I am still the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, let's stand. I want you to do something. I appreciate your participation as I've preached. I I appreciate your engagement, your laughter, your shouts, the answers you gave as I've asked questions. I appreciate the applause. I appreciate the, the preach it, pastor. It's like throwing a bone to a dog. I appreciate it. But let's take a moment and appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. Let's give the Lord a huge shout of praise. Amen. Yep, I went a little bit longer today, but I don't apologize. It's too hard to give you the truth and give God his worship and cram it all in. I'm not going to cram it in. You're worth it. Your kids are worth it. I know Amber teaches your daughter. Welcome. Welcome to the family. Amen. Great to have you here. Look forward to getting to know you and your son and your daughter. You're worth too much. I'm not going to just tick off another Sunday. No. If you don't understand what I'm doing, I am building line upon line, precept upon precept, principle upon principle. I want you to understand you didn't just get a ticket and now one day you're going to heaven. No, you've been given a whole armory. You've been given everything that is in Christ. The fullness of God is in Christ and the fullness of Christ is in you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 10. I'm hungry. I can eat well. But my next meal isn't more important than this meal. And so I'm going to preach like it's my last preach every time I preach. And whether I've got 200 or I have 20,000, the intensity isn't going to change. 
because one person deserves to have the whole truth with all the intensity of heaven. Amen. Church, I want you to grow muscles. Paul says, I pray that Christ be formed in you. How does he get formed in us? Revelation unpacks and reveals how much is really finished. We stand in victory because it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Make that a catchphrase in your mouth. Tell the devil, it's finished. You didn't hear me? You're finished in Jesus' name. Your influence over my life is finished. Your curse over my life is finished. As we prepare to go today, I know I can be loud. I know I can be theatrical to build a point. But I also know I can be very honest and sincere. And I tell you, from the bottom of my heart, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And to this day, 50 years later, it is still the best thing in my life. I've been here and I've been there and I've been where I shouldn't have been. And there's nothing like having Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your friend, and as your God. Religion can't do that. But a relationship with Christ can. While every eye is closed, now's the time to man up. From now on, when I make an altar call, I'm going to ask people who raise their hand to come out the front because we want to sit with you for five minutes and we want to sign you up to do this course. By the way, if anyone's been saved in the last six months, see my daughter Amber. She preached last week. Sign up uh, uh, June 5th. But if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, come on, raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. I want Him in my heart. I want to be born again. If you've never done that, raise your hand right now. Church, everyone open your eyes and look at how many hands are raised. None. If I preach to the saved, to be saved, and they're not here, I can't get them saved. Every one of us are called to be disciples. This is not a downer. This is an upper. You are capable. The Spirit of God is in you. Invite your friends. I promise you, I will pray. I will fast. I will have my face before God, and I'll preach my heart out, and I'll make an altar call. Let's get into the habit of bringing our unsaved friends because if it was important enough for him to die, it's important enough for us to bring them to meet Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. If you're watching today and you raised your hand, please stay tuned. I will talk to you in a moment. Contact us. Here at Grace and Faith Church, we want to send you a Bible and connect with you. As for you, church, 
the rest of this series is only going to get better. If you're having a good time now, God's got more punch to give you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great week. Sign up. If you're a new Christian, haven't been baptized in water, see Amber. Sign up. Give each other a hug, a high five, a fist pump. Cheer each other on. Bless one another in Jesus' name. God bless you.